makes it so much easier whenever I say good morning and people say good morning back. Um, And hello to everybody watching online. Hello to my mother once again. I think she's out walking the dog, but if I say it to her in one service, I feel like I should say it again at the next. Maybe she doesn't hear it, but then you guys look at me and you're like, that boy loves his mama. And guess what? I do love my mom. Um, and she does watch, so thanks. If you are new with us here today, please come and see us out at the orange tables after service. We would love to get to know you. Um, And if you don't know who I am, my name is Chris, and I am the director of student ministries here at Vertical Church, where it is my honor and privilege to get to teach our students uh, from sixth to 12th grade about the Bible, about Jesus, Uh, And I love getting to do that. A couple things before I get started. Number one, I want to apologize. I just got Invisalign, all right? And so what that does is it makes me have a lisp right now. The great thing about preaching is you talk about Jesus. There's two S's. So every time I say his name, man, I feel it right now. I kind of spit a little bit whenever I talk. Dad, yeah, (laughs) cover up. I don't want to spit on anybody, but it could happen, so I apologize. But I've waited 42 years to have straight teeth. I'm not going to take them out right now at all. Um, I also wanted to say congratulations to our uh, South Gibson football team that just won state. Such a cool thing, but uh, what a lot of you all don't know is that many of those boys come here to this church. Um, Some of them even serve back in kids' men. And uh, they've made church a priority. And so, you know, above winning a championship or whatever, uh, they're investing their lives in a church. Uh, also, on Wednesday nights, they will, they will have practice. And then after practice, they go and they get cleaned up, which is a good thing for the rest of us. They don't come in all sweaty and smelly, but they make time and come in and see us on Wednesday night. So I just think it's an honorable thing, an admirable thing, and, uh, and we love that, that they got a chance to go and play uh, an awesome game and, and come up big with the win. So congratulations to the Titans. And next week, we are starting a new series, which is called A Story to Tell, as we prepare for the Christmas season. Rich gave me this little thing that he wanted me to say about the series and he is watching uh, but I'm not going to say at all what he had wrote out uh, it's really pretty he worded it very well I would never talk that eloquently um, so I'm not even going to try I'll let him introduce it properly whenever he comes back next week uh, but what I will tell you is that I'm pretty sure it has something to do with a baby being born Uh, the impact that that birth had on this world and the revelation of how that birth shows God's love for us. So please come back next week as we start in and talk about the greatest story ever told. So today we are finishing up our series called The Good Book. Um, So Rich and Bart and I were all kind of given assignments on what we were going to talk about. So I'm going to recap basically the last two weeks for you. In the first week, Rich answered the question, is the Bible reliable? Uh, And he dove into how we got the text that we have today. We learned that it's not a translation of a translation of a translation, all right? That, That the word that we have today is what the original authors had, um, 
the, the, uh, it's been kept very well. No book in history, not one, has been studied over, poured over, scrutinized like the Bible. And speaking of history, sure, the, the wording in the, in the Bible hasn't changed, but is it accurate as far as the history that it records? And what I want to say on that is just because people give God credit for the things that happened does not mean that they did not happen. Like, for example, I'm standing up here today and, and I think that it was because of God that I'm here today. There's no other reason, when I look back at my life, I don't see any other way that I could be up here. Now you can say, well, it's a coincidence, Chris. You could say there's no God, that's not the reason that you're here. But what you cannot say is that I'm not standing up here right now. You can't say that. I was uh, listening to a podcast from a doctor and he was talking about uh, the job that he was currently in. And he said, he would be praying for this opportunity to work in the field that he had studied in for so long. And he would check these message boards for jobs. And they would always post at the beginning of the month or the end of the month, never any other time. And he had been doing this for years. He had been praying over this and praying over this. And one night he was like, man, I'm gonna check this message board in the middle of the month. They never posted in the middle of the month, ever. He gets on there and he sees it and lo and behold, there's a job that is perfect for him. He applies and he gets the job. Of course, this would be a terrible story if he didn't. But he gets the job and he thanks God for that job. He said, I believe that God is the reason that I have the job that I have today. Now you can say God didn't have anything to do with it. That was chance. That's why you got it. You were up late because you ate something bad, you couldn't sleep, and so you just got on the internet to check it out. You can say that all you want to, but what you cannot say is that he does not have the job that he's in. So yeah, I believe that the Bible is actual history. There are actual things that happen, and it is recorded in the Bible. And last week, we heard from Bart as he answered the question, or the questions, is the Bible relevant how do we apply it and how do we understand it? And I think the big takeaway from that message is that context is key. When was the Bible written? It wasn't written yesterday. We can't read it through our own eyes and expect to get meaning out of it. We have to understand who it was written to and why it was written. And he told you that I was supposed to talk about how to understand the Bible, uh, but that understanding went so well with his message. And we had a conversation about that. And really, I felt like God was calling me in a different direction of what he wanted me to talk about today. And so I'm gonna preach today and hopefully, hopefully I can kind of make it make sense in the context of the good book. And if not, I'm gonna be at least preaching verses from the Bible. So I got that going for me. But I do wanna to attempt to answer the question why should we read the Bible? How many of you all have ever um, watched a family member walk out the door or said goodbye to a loved one or watched your kid take off and thought, what if this was the last time I ever see this person? Have you ever thought that? I mean, maybe it's kind of a morbid thought, but I, I think it often, you know, 
how would that change the way in which I speak to somebody? Uh, how would that affect the way I treat someone? What if this is the last time? And on Wednesday nights, whenever I get the opportunity to get up here, there's always two things that cross my mind. And one of them is, why would you choose me? What did, what did I do to deserve an opportunity to get up here and talk to these kids about, about God? What did I do? And when I get over myself, the next question is, what about if this is the last time that I ever preach? What, would, what does that message look like now? And so today, I thought, what about if this was the very last time that I was ever able to preach on a Sunday? And it kind of came out of, uh, uh, from this pastor that I had watched. His name was Paul Washer. And he was at a conference at a, uh, a kid's, not a kid's conference, but a, a youth conference. And there's all these preachers up there and they're like, yeah, you're the, you're the next generation. You're going to go out there and, and win one for God. Yeah. And they're pumping them up. They're hyping, uh, hyping, hyping these kids up so much. And Paul Washer got up there and that was just not the message that he had. He wanted them to be secure in who Christ was. And he said to himself, what about if this is the last message that I ever preach? And he told him right off the bat, I'm not here to pump you up. I'm not here to make you feel better. I'm here to make sure you understand. He said, today I'm going to preach as a man dying. And so today that's what I want to do. I want to preach as a man dying to men and women that are dying. And I thought, if this was the very last message I ever preached, what would I preach on? I would preach on my two favorite passages in the entire Bible. Not my favorite verses, my favorite passages. Um, they, they really kind of shaped the way that I thought about God. And I, I want to be able to share that with you all today. So I've got a lot of Bible to go through. So I want to go ahead and get started. If you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 1. We're going to be in John chapter 1. We're going to be in Colossians 1. We're going to be in Genesis 1. But right now in John chapter 1, he starts off his, his gospel like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John is really doing a few things right here, okay? And we really need to understand this. Number one, he is recalling the first book of the Bible. Did anybody pick up on that in the beginning? Genesis, which comes from the Greek meaning origins, tells of how God created the world. And it starts off like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He's really mirroring the very first part of Genesis with the first part of his gospel. Number two, the Greek word logos uh, is what John uses here to describe Jesus. And though John doesn't call him by name until verse 17, the word logos is literally translated to word but it had a rich meaning to it. Uh, the philosophical Greeks who would have read this during this day, it, it was written in Greek. They would have seen that and they would have recognized this idea, this logos as ultimate reality. 
This is what their collective thing was getting them. This was the prototype, the great cause, the story behind the story. This was the stabilizing principle of the entire universe. That's what Lagos represented to them. For the Jews of that day, they would have recognized this as the word of Yahweh. All right, this, was, uh, this would have shown uh, his power. It would have shown the way that he spoke the entire universe into existence with just his words. And number three, John is saying that Jesus was with God from the start. And in actuality, he is God. Now back in John in verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John is still referencing Genesis right here with this idea of light and darkness and how they are separate and how God actually separated them. Back in Genesis in verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light, that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. So we see that John has a great knowledge of the Old Testament. In fact, many of the New Testament writers had a great knowledge of the Old Testament. What they were writing was not anything new. That's what we need to understand, that the New Testament is essentially a commentary on the Old Testament. They just filtered everything through the lens of Jesus Christ so that it took on new meaning. But John was also doing something else here in the prologue to his gospel. He uses another Old Testament book. This is something that a lot of Jewish teachers would do. They would take one of the books from the Torah, the first five books, and they would take another book, like a book of wisdom or a book from the prophets, and they would mix them together so that the meanings of them would be more revealed. And that's what he's doing here. The writer of Proverbs 8 personifies wisdom, which means that he gives it characteristic that belong to human beings alone makes wisdom into a person. And John not only repurposes this proverb, but he also connects it to Genesis. And by doing that, he is able to make his bold claim that Jesus existed before the creation of everything. So let's take a look at Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. So there's a lot of different uh, wordings for this. You might have a version of the Bible that says, brought me forth as the first of his works or created me at the beginning of his works or acquired me or even formed me. And some of those words, they kind of sound like, well, there was God and then he made wisdom and then he made the world. That's not at all what he was trying to say here. The idea is that before anything else was made, God had wisdom. Remember, the way that they were writing this is different than the way that, that you or I would say it. That's the context that Bart was talking about. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
A lot of the New Testament writers equated this idea of wisdom to Jesus. So they were saying, hey, this wisdom that Solomon is talking about here in this proverb, he's actually talking about Jesus. He was there at the start. Back in Proverbs, verse 23, ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. I think it's so cool and it's such a great picture of Jesus being there with the Father. John knew the Old Testament and it affected his writings and it strengthened his knowledge, his belief, and his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Back in John, let's finish out his prologue. Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. There's more language of that light in there. And this is, to be sure, uh, John the Baptist that he's talking about right here. Not the author John, but John the Baptist, who was also prophesied in the Old Testament. Verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was a Jewish man born to Jewish parents and his own people said, no, you're not the Messiah that is to come. But more than that, everyone in this world belonged to God. He didn't just come to the Jews, he came to everyone and everyone rejected him but there is hope verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God God chose them so up until now John has laid out the idea of of a person that was present with God from the beginning separate but also God. And in the next few verses, he lays his cards completely down and he names his name. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is, a, is the picture of a tent, is the picture of a tabernacle, just like in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was a place where God dwelt among his people. So he's using more images from the Old Testament dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth John bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom I said he comes after me ranks before me because he was before me 
For, for, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I've read this verse right here, I don't know how many times, and I've always thought, man, it, it's just worded very weird. And I've read it in, in different uh, translations too. I've always thought, man, it, it just seems like not a good sentence. It, it rubs me wrong. I, I don't understand it correctly. Um, if you all are taking notes, please write this down. There's a really great YouTube channel called The Bible Project, and they really break down a whole lot of stuff, and it's so cool. Um, the guys are really smart, and they have really cool drawings. It's really easy to like follow along with. Um, they make short videos about a lot of different things from the Bible, but they actually do a whole video on the prologue. So John 1, 1 through 18, everything that I just read, they go through, and they explain it 10 times better than I ever could. But what they did say about this was, we see that and we see a period at the end of the sentence. But as it's written, it was open-ended. It was dot, 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 instead of just a dot. And what he was saying is that John is inviting you to read the rest of his gospel, to find out about this Jesus. It's an invitation. It was supposed to be open-ended so that we would keep on reading. In 18 verses, John makes his case for the deity of Christ. But before the gospel of John was ever written, Paul was writing letters to churches all across the area. And remember, Paul was actually a persecutor of Christians beforehand. So John's, letter, or John's gospel was probably written between 90 and 98 A.D., I think the earliest of Paul's letters were around 45 or something like that. Does that sound about right, Scott? All right. I'm just throwing a number out there. You'd probably agree if I said two. You wouldn't? Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. In his letter to the Colossians, though, Paul affirms everything that John says. And what's awesome about this is that John was actually an eyewitness. He was there during the life of Jesus. He was there during his ministry. He was there during his death. And he was there for the resurrection. John was there. Like the rest of us, Paul heard about Jesus, but he was not an eyewitness. But also like many of us, Paul had an encounter with Jesus that totally changed him. He also knew the Old Testament pretty good too. He studied the Old Testament actually. Now I told you that I wanted to preach on my, on my favorite passages. And if you've ever heard me talk, I, am, I very much, I, I probably say I have a favorite about everything. Or I'll hear a song and be like, that's my favorite song. And then the next song will come on and I'll be like, that's my favorite song. So after a while, you don't know if you're, is this really your favorite, you know? Uh, neither one of my kids know who my favorite is. And they probably, uh, yeah, probably Kelton right now. Thanks, bud. I'm playing, Brynja, I love you too. It's Kelton. <laughs> anyway, anyways, I say that I have favorites a lot. This one, this passage has really been my favorite, at least since I've read it. So going on five years now, uh, it's been my favorite and it, uh, it's something that I love 
very dearly. So Paul says this in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The word preeminent carries a lot of weight behind it. There is nothing else that is as high or as lofty as Jesus. He is the logos. He is the prototype. He is the ultimate reality that John was talking about. Even here, Paul alludes to Genesis and Proverbs 8. Amazing how these writers did this. It fits hand in hand with what John was saying. He's bringing it even more into focus. He's saying, man, if I die and I go to heaven and I have everything that I've ever wanted or ever dreamed of that's there and I don't have Jesus, then I'm not having anything. Jesus is the prize. He is the prize. All things were made by him. All things were made through him and all things were made for him. He is the object of our praise. He is the object of our worship. He is the reason that we die to ourselves and that we die to this world. Verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, to tabernacle and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That was what he did for you. So you might be saying to yourself, okay, Jesus is God. Cool. He was there in the beginning. Great. I'm glad that we know that, Chris. What does that have to do with why I need to read my Bible? So why do we read our Bible? Or why should we read our Bible? Uh, Because it's the living word of God. We've heard that talked about over the last two weeks. Yes. Because John read it and Paul read it. Sure. But even more than that, the authors of the text took their time and they wrote out the inspired word of God. These writings do, in fact, contain life. They did this so that you could read them. And it was preserved through the ages, and I believe that it was preserved divinely. Look, the Bible's not a diary. Nobody just sat there and scribbled their thoughts and feelings about who God was. Paul's words are letters that were sent out to churches so that they could be read in the churches. And I think that it's so cool that, uh, that the word logos that we talked about, it's used over 300 times in the New Testament. And most of the time, it simply means word. It's not this lofty idea. It really just means, hey, he had a word for me. For the grand idea of what the logos is and what it represented, I honestly believe that John was trying to make it as simple as he could. 
for me and for you. The idea that Jesus is the word, that Jesus is life, that Jesus is the light. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing from Jesus. How can you say that you have a relationship with someone if you don't listen to them, if there's no communication, right? JJ, you're my buddy, right? I love you, man. I know. (laughs) We have a relationship though, don't we? Does that work if you talk to me and I don't listen to you? Does that work if I talk to you and you don't listen to me? It's a two-way street, right? Right. You talk to them, you talk to people if you wanna be in a relationship with them. That is how it works. Listen, if, if you don't know where I'm from, I was a, uh, I was a devout atheist, <laughs> as devout as you could be. Um, and after I had an encounter with Christ, I vowed that I didn't wanna be like the Christians that I saw so much of when I was growing up. I saw a lot of Christians, Christians, and they were good enough to say God on one day, but the way that they treated other people and the way that they acted showed no Christ at all. And I said, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna be that person. If I'm gonna be a Christian, I wanna do it the right way. And so what I did was I picked up a Bible and read it. And, and I, I'm not a reader, everybody. I, I don't read. <laughs> uh, I've read a few books here or there whenever they made me in school. I don't, I don't read, I don't particularly enjoy it. But man, God changed my life and, and I wanted to do something about it. So I wanted to read his word. And so I did, I picked up the Bible and I read it. I read the whole thing. I said, I'm gonna read this whole thing. And guess what? I didn't understand a lot of it. So I read it again. I learned some more and that wasn't enough. So I read it again and guess what? I'm gonna keep on reading it and I'm gonna keep on reading it. Bart likes to say that uh, people don't care how much you know. They wanna know how much you care. And I agree with that statement. But I also know that Bart reads his Bible every single day. And not only that, he digs into it. Honestly, I think that this whole sentiment of people don't care how much you know, but they wanna know how much you care has been perpetuated through the church. And we buy into it because we don't wanna do the work. We want to have a nice, quick little saying, hey man, I don't need to know the Bible. People don't care. They want to know how much I care. You know, but if you're so quick to do that, how are you with the rest of your Christian walk? Leonard Ravenhill uh, was a great man of God. And he liked to say that, you know, so many people are ready to go to the cross, but they're not ready to get on the cross. And that's a problem. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says this in chapter six, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is saying you need to get on that cross with him. In Galatians, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. There was a cost that was paid for you. He never demanded anything else, but if he has changed your life, then your life will look different. See, the world will tell you that the Bible is outdated, that you can't trust it. And some churches will even tell you that you can't understand it. That it's not about what you know, that it's about who you know. But how can you know him if you don't spend any time with him? See, the thing is you can and you should. He has given you his word, both bound and in flesh. And the choice is yours to pick it up. So do it. That's why you read your Bible. So you can have a better, deeper relationship with the one, with the ultimate reality, who loves you more than anyone else can. That's all I have for you guys today. Um, I want to invite the prayer team up. Listen, if you would like prayer, we would like to pray with you and for you. Uh, Maybe you're like, ah, Chris, that makes sense. I'd really like to read my Bible more. I don't know where to start. Start by talking to one of these guys and pray with them, have them pray for you. In Psalm 142, David says this, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. God wants to hear from you. As much as he wants you to hear from him, he wants to hear from you about anything. And David wasn't ashamed to say whatever it was that he needed to to God to plead his case because he loved God and he trusted God. So if that's you today, come on up and let us pray for you. And I'm gonna pray for you guys right now. Holy Father, um, I love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for that ultimate reality that is Jesus Christ. God, if, if there's someone here that, that needs to know you better, that needs to not just say, I'm a Christian, but they need to be that Christian and be in a better relationship with you, God, lay it on their heart right now. Let them see that they can know you and that you have given them your word. And Father, we thank you for that word. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made in that word. We love you and we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' awesome and holy name. Amen. Hey, thanks guys. Uh, On your way out, there's going to be somebody out there, I believe, that's going to be handing out some invite cards for our Christmas service. Everybody have a